You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, through, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith that, and love that are in Christ Jesus. This, or the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, I'm going to pray. I'm also going to pray for Melissa Swalla, who she's one of the uh, missionaries that works on campus locally at LCCC to bring the gospel to that campus. I'm going to pray for her as well. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you're using it, not just in our lives, but in all of Cheyenne and, and in, in the world. God, uh, I lift up Melissa to you as she continues to seek to, to raise full support for what you've called her to do on that campus. I pray for the college students. I pray that you would give Melissa an opportunity to, to bring the gospel to those who may never even think about or may have not ever thought about coming to church, that you would use her to bring the gospel to them. And uh, God, for the rest of our time today, I just ask you to open our hearts and our minds to your word. Speak to us. May we see you through the proclamation of your word in a way that changes us forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So I just want to comment, and this is not in my notes, but um, I think it's important to say, one, one of the ha- songs that we sang today was A Mighty Fortress. And uh, if you don't know a whole lot about hymns, there are hymns, we're told in the Bible to sing hymns and spiritual songs, okay? And then you have the Psalms that are in our Bible. They're all songs that are in the Bible. Uh, Spiritual songs are really great, and they remind us of who God is, and, and it gives us an opportunity through song to just sing what's you know, on our hearts. I encourage you, every time you sing any song that, we, uh, that, that, that we're singing together, think about what you're singing. Uh, but hymns teach us something about God uh, on a level that spiritual songs can't, really. So hymns kind of go deeper, and they teach us something theological about who God is. We sang A Mighty Fortress uh, is Our God, who was written by the guy that I talked about last week, a guy by the name of Martin Luther. And if you think about the words that we were singing, I'll just read some of those. Uh, Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath is his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. You know, and, and though this world through devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed uh, his truth to triumph through us. I mean, 
Think about those words. When Martin Luther wrote those words, and this hymn is over 500, about 500 years old, okay? It stood the test of time. He was writing in the context of, uh, of a very dangerous situation for his life, that there was a bounty on his head for translating the, 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 the Bible into German, for writing the books that he wrote to try to get the gospel out there into Germany and around the world. And he wrote that hymn in that context. I mean, think about it. The most powerful organization in the world was the church. They, the church, and when I say the church, I'm not talking about the real church. I'm talking about the Roman Catholic Church of that day that was, you know, wore the garments of, of religion or the church but really didn't represent Jesus, not the way that, that she should have or it should have. It was the most powerful organization in the world. It was the wealthiest organization in the world. And this organization wanted to kill Martin Luther. He wrote the hymn, that hymn in that context. He wrote other hymns, too. Um, it just kind of gives you an appreciation for some of, the, some of the songs that we sing. I, when I uh, uh, was ordained as a minister of the gospel, the ordination ceremony where there was several hundred people there, in preparation of that, I was asked to pick the songs that I would like for us to sing during that worship service, and uh, every song that I picked was a hymn. <laughs> I love hymns, and so I just, I just wanted to share that with you. I, uh, I asked uh, Jonathan if we, could, if we could do a Mighty Fortress, and they really worked hard to, to, uh, to do that so we could sing along with them. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. We talked about the scriptures last week. This week, we're going to talk about grace. And uh, there's a guy that was born a little after uh, Martin Luther was born. That guy was, Mar was William Tyndale. William Tyndale was born in 1494 and uh, died in 1536 when he was only 42 years old. So he died a young, at a young age. He studied at the University of Oxford, uh, where he received both his bachelor's degree and his master's degree. He attended a Bible study that was illegal, <laughs> at the White Horse Inn, where a group of he and, and his friends were not only studying the Bible together, but they were also reading books that a certain individual had written, and those books were smuggled into England. Those books were written by Martin Luther. And so William Tyndale was hearing the gospel in this Bible study that, that he was a part of. He wanted to be a priest. He was a scholar. And, uh, and, and the others that were with him were doing the same thing. They, were, they really wanted to, to understand the Bible. And they were doing this secretly. Of all the people that attended that Bible study, and, and again, it was in secret, and I don't know exactly how many, but nine of the men that attended eventually died by martyrdom. William Tyndale was one of them. These were young adults who, who God was stirring in their hearts to be a part of the Protestant Reformation. Somebody said earlier this week, I was, re I was uh, listening to uh, a message by somebody I admire, and, and um, he said the Protestant Reformation essentially was, stop was started by college students, or at least carried on by college students. Think about that. And so God was stirring in the hearts of William Tyndale and some others. We'll talk about another guy later on uh, in the sermon series that was a part of that. Bible study who also died uh, because he was charged with blasphemy and heresy for, for uh, his belief that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
just like Tyndale. Tyndale uh, became a tutor uh, for this family that had a large estate. He grew close to this family. I don't know the exact relationship he had with this family, if it was biological, I'm not sure. But one day there was a priest who visited the family, and Tyndale overheard the conversation this priest was having with those who owned you know, the property. And the Catholic priest said something to the effect, he said something disparaging about the Bible, and then he said, what the Pope says is actually more important than what the Bible says. And Tyndale stood up and he, and he, said, he said this, he said, I despise the Pope. I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than the Pope. And that's what he did. He spent a lifetime, the short lifetime that he had, translating the Bible into English. When there was a printing press that would make, make it possible for that Bible to be mass produced. So he... Uh, didn't have a death wish, so he, he went to England and approached the bishop to seek approval to translate the Bible from its original, the original languages into English. Uh, the, the reason why the bishop, I guess, gave for why he, Tyndale was not permitted to translate the Bible into English is because of what the German Bible did to Germany. Because at that point in time, the German Bible was being mass-produced, and it was turning Germany upside down in a very good way. And uh, England didn't want it to experience the same thing. They felt threatened by it. So they forbade uh, Tyndale not to, that he was not permitted to, tr to, to translate the Bible into English. So what he did was he, he went into exile, moved into Germany, found a printing press or a printer with a press that was willing to risk his own life to print the Bible in English. Tyndale finished the translation uh, and had the English version of the Bible uh, printed, mass-produced. They, they um, hid the Bibles in hay bales and smuggled them into Europe where those Bibles were sold on the black market. Like This, this, was, this stuff actually happened. They were treating the Bible like crack cocaine. And, uh, and so they were smuggling the Bible into, into Europe. Uh, the authorities got wind of it. Uh, somehow they, they tracked uh, Tyndale down, I guess, through the German authorities. And they located where this Bible was being printed, where the resources were being held. And so Tyndale caught wind of it. He was able to get a few things and it basically escaped for his life. They destroyed all of the work that he, that he had accomplished regarding the translation of, of the Bible into English. Now, you didn't have computers in those days, so it wasn't like he had a flash drive somewhere hidden. It was, you know, all of it behind the, the, the English. So they destroyed it. Anytime, anywhere they could find the, the, the English version of the Bible that Tyndale translated, they were burned, and essentially Tyndale lost most of what he uh, accomplished. So he started over again. And he translated the Bible again into English. In fact, he made over 3,000 editorial changes that included uh, scripture references, uh, introduction to uh, the books of the Bible. Essentially, what you had was the first prototype of a study Bible written by William Tyndale. Why? Because all of Europe, he, he saw all of Europe was very dark. And here's what you need to know. Not only was the Bible illegal to be printed in the language of the people, but it was illegal to print, publish, or read books that were about the Bible, like what they were doing at the White Horse Inn. 
And listen to this. It was illegal to recite the Lord's Prayer in English in your own home with your own children. That's, that's what was going on. And the reason why you have a Bible right now in English is because, guys, uh, because of Mar- uh, William Tyndale and Martin Luther. In fact, I, my guess is that many of us in this room have multiple copies of Bibles in our home. It was so dark in Europe that, that uh, Tyndale was convinced that hardly anybody understood the gospel. And the only way... And the best way to make sure that people heard the gospel was that they had a Bible in their own language. And that was the hope for Europe. He was convinced that, that uh, our only hope, the hope of England and our hope, is the grace of God. And the only way they would be exposed to the grace of God in, in terms of what the gospel is, is if they were able to see it in the scriptures themselves. Passages like 1 Timothy, the one that I read with you this morning, Other passages like Ephesians, which we'll look at in a little bit. That Paul said, you know, he said, at one point in time I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was an insolent opponent. And if you don't know anything about the Apostle Paul, he was a persecutor of the church. Like he thought he was doing God a favor by arresting Christians and having Christians put to death. In fact, there was one guy by the name of Stephen. You can read about this whole story in in Acts, in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7. Stephen uh, just couldn't help himself but tell people about Jesus. He was just... You know, he just couldn't shut up. And, they, and a group of people got so angry with him that they drug him out of the city and they were going to inflict capital punishment on him, which was death by stoning, which is not a really fun way to die. Like, it's right up there with being burned to death. Like, they, they would take big stones and big rocks and literally crush your skull and break your bones with them. When, when they were preparing to do that, when they drug Stephen out, they laid their jackets at the feet of a guy by the name of Saul, who later became Paul, the Apostle Paul. So that's what he's talking about in, in 1 Timothy. Paul said, I, I was that person. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was, I was an insolent opponent. I had this savage desire to just silence the church and, 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 and throw Christians in prison, or even worse, have them killed. And the reason why was because I was dead in my sins. There's another passage, Ephesians chapter 2. I th- I, I'll have the words on the screen. And, and that passage simply says that, this, that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's talking about us, by the way. That's us. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. Uh, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature what? What is that? Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Well, that's not a a real fun passage to to read when when it's talking about all of mankind, but I I said this in in the series I preached through when I was preaching through Rome's, in the book of Romans, that, that before, before you ever encountered the grace of God through faith in Jesus, before you became a Christian, you were spiritually dead. You know, you're, in fact, this world is filled with spiritually walking dead people. <laughs> For some of you zombie fans, right? You, 
spiritually dead. And Paul said, you know, I behaved like a spiritually dead person because I had not experienced the grace of God uh, before that point. That I thought I was doing God a favor by, by harming Christians. That I was also guilty of living in the passions of my flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, and my mind. I mean, that's who I was. I was dead. Like, how dead is dead? Dead, right? <laughs> dead. Like, Ephesians chapter 2 is pretty clear. You and I, we, we were born spiritually dead. There was nothing in us that desired God or wanted anything to do with God, even though we were made in his image. Like, we were like the thief who runs from a cop. I've, I've not seen a thief run looking for a cop, um, unless he wanted to harm a cop. We're that person. And Paul, Paul was, he says, I was that person. You can boil Paul's blaspheming, persecuting, violent tendencies to, to three categories. One, it was, he was spiritually dead, and it affected the way that he viewed God. Anybody who's spiritually dead, it affects the way they view God. That uh, it affected how he understood himself, and it affected the way he treated others. Like that's why Jesus said when he was asked, "Hey, what's the greatest commandment?" He said, "Well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul." And the other commandment is like it: uh, to love your neighbor as who, as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the whole law. And if you're spiritually dead, you can't do either of those things very well. And Paul behaved that way. William Tyndale, before he placed his faith and trust in Jesus, was like that person. And, um, you know, some of the characteristics for the way we function and behave as a result of our spiritual deadness is that we function as though God exists for us and not the other way around. Like, he, he, he's my sugar daddy in the, in the sky. <laughs> you know, when I need him, I'll call out to him and he'll listen. Or that we, we, we treat our sin as trivial and non-consequential. You know, like, I, you know, if there is a God, he's kind of an all-shucks God. It's like, you know, I messed up, and he, he's like Mr. Rogers. You know, he's really nice. I'll still get into heaven. And then um, we don't view people the way that we should. In fact, I can tell you that the, way, the, the reason why our nation is the way it is and, and the world is the way it is is not because uh, the wrong person or the right person is in office, it's not because the right legislation or the wrong legislation is what's governing our, you know, our, our, the laws of our land. It's because people are born spiritually dead. The greatest need of mankind is, is not a new president or the same president. It is Jesus, period. And um, you know, politics and the laws and all those things, they have their place. But we are dead spiritually. We, we need grace. Our, our only hope is the grace of God for the condition of our soul and, and of, our, of our heart. And so, but Ephesians goes on to say, you know, it gives us more, more hope. <laughs> like Paul, well, Paul says this, he says in, in 1 Timothy, he said, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He said, I, God's grace didn't come to me because I was ignorant. God's grace came to me because I was dead spiritually, and his mercy in that, it like, it resulted in not giving me what I deserved, but giving me Jesus. That's what his mercy resu uh, resulted in. You know, grace is receiving what you didn't earn, right? 
Like I said, I don't know when I said it, I said it would be weird on Christmas at the end of the day if we wrote an invoice and handed it to our children and told them this is what you have to do for the rest of the year to, earn, to, to, to pay me back for the gifts that I spent on you, right? Wouldn't that be strange? Like we don't do that. Why? Because we love our children, hopefully. You love your children most of the time anyway. And then and it's your grace. You, like, you, you want them to, ex- to, to experience joy. It's the same thing with God. Paul received the grace of God not because he earned it, but because God in his mercy gave it to him by grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone, period. In, in Ephesians chapter um, 2 and verse 4, it says, here's the reason why. Let's read this together, ready? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Like, that is the greatest news in the universe. Like, like that, that God would extend his grace to, to spiritually dead sinners who deserve his wrath like us, uh, free of charge. Like, we don't have to do anything to, to earn it. We can't. In fact, I've said this, that the most arrogant thing that you can say or believe is, that, is this, that I, if I just go to church enough, if I just read enough of my Bible, if I just pray enough, if I just do enough good things, that when I die, I'll get into heaven and God will be in my debt and he'll be obligated to let me into his heaven and forgive me of my sins. That's like the most arrogant thing that you can ever say or believe, but, that, but, but our world acts that way. And there's not enough that we can do it's solely because of the mercy of God who is rich in mercy. I was sharing this illustration with the second, uh, in the second worship service. Uh, how many of you have been to uh, Niagara Falls? Just, just curious. Wait, raise your hand. Who, just like four or five. Okay, so there's two more, two more than last service. Like there's three in the last service. All right, I'm going to talk to the ones who have been to Niagara Falls. Okay, so when you pull up to the, the park, and you find a parking spot, and you get out of the car, what is the first thing that you experience when you get out of the car? What? Sound, the, the roar of the falls. It's overwhelming. It's like, it, sounds like, it sounds like unending thunder, right? And then as you get closer to the falls, like there was a, when I, it was a long time ago when I was there, but there was this railing that you can walk up to, and there's the falls. Then what do you, give, then what do you experience? The mist of the falls, right? But how many of you, five, <laughs> have been on the made of the mist? Okay, so here's my question for you. Why do they give you a rain jacket when you get on the made of the mist? I don't know. It doesn't do any good, does it? Because they, they take you into the made of the mist, which is a boat, and they try to get you as safely as possible, as close to the falls, to experience it, so you can experience the falls uh, as, as humanly possible. And, and what happens is you get drenched. Like the, 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 rain, the poncho they give you doesn't work. And then you get off of the made, when I got off the made of the mist, water was squirting out of my shoes. That's how, that's how drenched I was. I was overwhelmed by Niagara Falls. Now, when Paul talks about the lavishing love of God or being overwhelmed by 
the grace of God, the picture that comes to mind, and I believe it's an accurate picture, is this picture. If you were on the maid of the mist, and if you had the, enough strength to, to hold a cup or a mug and put it under the falls and allow, and allow the falls to fill that cup and to continue filling it, it would, it would be overwhelming. It would, it would be lavishing. Like the, that's the picture of the love of God and the grace of God that is given to us in the scriptures. Like it's unending. And, and for, for those of you who are in this room or maybe watching the live stream and you're thinking to yourself, man, you, but Pastor Keith, you don't know. You don't know what I've done in my past. You don't know the horrible things. And I'll tell you that there is no sin greater than, than the grace of God, that the grace of God can't overcome in your life. And, and Tyndale felt that, and the church of that day was threatened by that truth that was in the Bible, that God's grace was so amazing that, it is, that, that there was no sin that I could be guilty of that his grace can't overcome. Past sins, present sins, or future sins. Why? Because there's not, one, there's not enough good things that I can do to earn God's favor. I am solely dependent upon His grace and His mercy for the forgiveness of my sins. That's why I've said multiple times, and I say it almost every service, that Jesus Christ lived the life that we could never live. He's the only one that lived the perfect life. And He died a death that every single one of us in this room and watching the live stream uh, deserved. We deserved God's wrath. Jesus instead went to the cross and underwent God's wrath in our place. And on the third day, He rose from the grave, validating everything that He said and did. Paul received that. He didn't deserve it. He received it. God, being rich in mercy, overwhelmed me with his grace, a grace I could not earn, a grace I did not deserve, but a grace that he freely gave through his son Jesus. That leads me to the second point, that our greatest need is the grace of God. It's the, greatest God, the, the, the grace of God. That's our greatest need. I mean... I'm going to vote in November. It's my, I feel like it's my civic duty. And um, I've, I counted a privilege to do so. I am, there are many in my, my family tree who have fought and bled for this nation. Um, it's a great privilege. But regardless of who remains president or who is our new president, will not address the real problem in America. And that is, we need a Savior. We need the grace of God, something we cannot earn, something we do not deserve, but something that's made available solely through the grace of God, by faith in Jesus alone. And Paul said, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. God met me where I was. He found me. I wasn't looking for him. That's the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Sinners run from God. God pursues sinners. God rescues sinners when sinners don't deserve it. That's the story from Genesis to Revelation. We are sinners. And Paul said, I receive mercy. 
In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, another passage in the New Testament. I want us to read it together. It's on the screen here. Let's read this together. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Like, amen? Like, that's the greatest news in the universe. And that's what compelled Guys like William Tyndale to risk his life so that people could read that in a language they understood. Ephesians says this in verses 8 through 9. And if you're wondering where I get the whole idea that you can't do and you just can't earn God's mercy or his grace, it's right here. Let's read this together. Ready? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When we get to, if you're a Christian and when you get to heaven, you're not going to be able to say, see what I did? <laughs> it will be, look what he has done. He has done it all. He, he did it all. In verse 14 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, the grace of our Lord overflowed like Niagara Falls for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And that's what compelled Tyndale to, to translate the Bible into English, knowing that it will probably not end well for him on this earth. So a friend, well, he thought he was a friend. He was really a Judas. I mean, he this guy uh, was told that by the, by the church, look, if you, it's a guy who he squandered his, his father's money through gambling, and um, the church, you know, the authorities or whoever found out, found out who this person was, um, and uh, I believe his name was, yeah, Philip, Henry Phillips. They located Henry Phillips, and they said, look, this is what we'll do for you. If, you. if you go find William Tyndale and hang him, we'll restore everything that you lost. So Phillips moved into Germany, was able to locate William Tyndale, uh, befriended him, built a, built a trust with him. Tyndale really thought Phillips was a good friend, and then one day led Tyndale through this narrow alley, uh, alleyway, and I don't know if he was walking into a building or under an archway, but there, but there were soldiers waiting and in, in hiding, um, waiting for Tyndale. They didn't know what he looked like. Only Phillips knew what he looked like. And so Phillips you know, led Tyndale along the way, and then when he walked through that archway or that doorway, he pointed to William Tyndale. And he said, that's the man. That's the man. And they, they arrested Tyndale and uh, held him in the in the castle of Brussels, where he remained for 18 months waiting for a trial. He was arrested on May 25th, 1535. So that kind of gives you a sense for the, the timing of the, uh, of the events, which meant that he would have to sit in that castle through the winter months. He wrote a, a letter of request. He said, I beg you, he wrote this letter. He said, I beg you, your Lord officer, and we don't know who that officer was, but he, said, he wrote this letter. He said, I beg you, your lordship, and that of the Lord Jesus, that if I am to remain here through the winter, that you will request and get my, my head cap, 
because my head is cold. My lungs are all congested. The jacket that I was arrested in, it's thin. I need a heavier jacket. I have a heavier jacket. Can you get that for me as well? My wool shirt, can you get that for me? Also, if it be allowed, could you get a lamp for me for the evening? He said, it is indeed wearisome to to be here sitting alone in the dark. But most of all, I beg and I beseech you that you, that, uh, that you do this urgently, that you permit me to have a Hebrew Bible, because that was legal, you can have a Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and a Hebrew dictionary, that I may pass the time in that study. In return, may you obtain what you most desire, so only that it, is, that it be for the salvation of your soul. But if any other decision has been taken concerning me, to be carried out before winter, I will be patient, abiding the will of God to the glory of, to the glory of the grand Christ, whose spirit, I pray, may ever direct your heart. Amen. In August of 1536, we don't know if they ever brought him a Hebrew Bible or if they brought him the clothing that he asked for, but then August of 1536, they brought him out. They clothed him in priestly garments because he was an ordained he was ordained for the priesthood. They, char- they charged him with heresy. You want to know what the three, three of the, there was a bunch of charges, but three of the main charges he was charged with was he was found guilty of heresy for believing that a sinner is justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Charge one. The other charge was that he taught that there was no such thing as purgatory. Charge two. And the third charge was that Mary, the mother of Jesus, did not pray for the saints, that he taught that only Jesus interceded for the saints. That was the third charge. And they condemned him to heresy. On October 6, 1536, which we just passed the the anniversary of this event, they led him out to a stake. They tied him to that stake. They wrapped his body or around his body gunpowder. They strangled him until he was at least had the appearance of being dead, they lit the flames and blew his body up. And it's because of guys like William Tyndale, you have a Bible in your home today. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. Before he died, he's heard praying these words, Lord, open the king's eyes. And not long after his death, uh, King Henry Uh, legalized the printing of the English Bible. I think 70% of that Bible was really Tyndale's work. And they say that uh, around 90%, this is what I read, about 90% of the King James Bible is really the result of the work that Tyndale put into translating the Bible from its original languages into English. There were phrases in the King James Bible that are phrases that William Tyndale coined as he was was, uh, translating the the Bible into English. We can read verses like the ones that we looked at. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 
But I received mercy for this reason. As the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. We can read those words in our language and understand them. And by understanding them, understand the gospel and place our faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And that you don't have to do anything to earn it. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're, you will have your sins forgiven. That's it. All you got to do is receive it. Salvation is indeed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. I woke up this morning and I thought there were, there were just three challenges that, I just, that were just on my, on my mind that I wanted to share with you for us, for you, in, in light of that, because my guess is that most, most of you in this room probably believe everything that I just said. You, you believe in Jesus, and, and, and you're, you're growing in your faith. Maybe some of you on the live stream or even here, maybe you're just trying to figure it out. You're not quite sure. You're, you're not sure who Jesus is. You're not sure if the Bible is really true. That's okay. My challenge to you is read the Gospel of Mark, like I said last week, and just pray that God would just you know, speak to your heart through it. Even if, you're not, even if you're not sure if God exists. But, but uh, for, for the rest of us, here, here's my challenge to you, is, is this. Give the gospel. What do I mean by that? The greatest event ever in your life was the event when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and received the forgiveness of your sins. That's the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Not the birth your physical birth, it is the day that you became a Christian or that process that led you to becoming a Christian. Talk about it. Talk about it with others. And then secondly, share the gospel. Well, what do I mean? I, I, it's a little different than the first thing I said. Share the gospel. God has said in his word that the way that he is going to get his, the message of the gospel, the good news to the rest of the world is through people like us, people who have received and experienced the gospel. And where you find yourself, wherever you find yourself, whether it's you know, your, your, your place of employment, your family, your neighborhood, wherever you find yourself, guess what? That's the mission God has called you to. You are a light in wherever, it, where, whatever place you find yourself in. Like, like what I do is, uh, my calling is to equip the church but I'm also called to engage his mission. And for me, I have to, I have to find creative ways to, to, to do that outside of Meadowbrook Church and my responsibilities here. And as I look for ways to do that. So I, you know, I, I, in, in Westminster, Colorado, it was getting onto the board, at uh, the, the, the school board, and, and doing other things in the community. And, and I'm finding ways to do that here in Cheyenne. But wherever it is that you find yourself, God has called you to that place. That's your mission field. That's what, that's what he's called you to. So live a life on mission. Like what you do matters. It's really important. It's really important. For some in your sphere of influence, you will be the only Jesus they will encounter. Whether they believe in Jesus or not, you are God's mouthpiece. You are his hands, you are his feet. So share the gospel. Give the gospel, share the gospel, and then here's the, here's the rub, ready? And i got to end because the, the nursery people are going to shoot me. Um, here's, here's the... My wife's in there, so... 
If I'm not back next week, you know why. Uh, so the third, here's the third one, and that is live the gospel. Live the gospel. You know, you know what I mean by that? You who have been forgiven much, we who have been forgiven much, we ought to be the most forgiving people on planet Earth. Jesus said, if somebody strikes your cheek, turn to them the other. He didn't say crush the person's cheek. He said, turn to them the other cheek as well. Um, if somebody has offended you or sinned against you, I know it's hard, but we should be the most forgiving people on planet Earth. For some reason, I think that's the, it's, in, it's within the context of the church that we find the most difficult place to forgive others for whatever the reason. That doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable. We must. That doesn't mean you sugarcoat sin. You, you can't do that. But it does mean that if somebody has offended you or sinned against you, that you, you who have been forgiven much ought to be able to forgive. I'm not talking about being a doormat for Jesus. I'm talking about forgiving others. And my challenge is that if there's somebody in your life that you've not forgiven and you've just been holding on to that bitterness and you just won't let go, that I really believe God wants you to let go. It doesn't mean that person has to re receive your forgiveness, but my encouragement to you is to pray about it and then go to that person and tell them that you forgive them and why it is that you forgive them. It's liberating. I've done that in my life. I probably, there are probably others I still need to do that with. And if you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, I just encourage you, talk to God about the struggles in your heart. God is big enough to handle your most complicated questions. Like God will never respond to your questions with, well, I haven't thought of that one before. <laughs> Let me go look it up. <laughs> um, he can handle your, your questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace of God that is available to anyone, anyone who would just receive it by faith, by believing in your son, Jesus, who lived the life that we could never live on our behalf, died the death that every single one of us deserved, and on the third day rose from the grave, and that by believing that we can receive this grace that is so amazing, your grace, and experience what it means to be, to, 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 to know your love and to be, to, to experience your love in, a, in an overwhelming way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.